Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. If you and I want to know the blessing of God, if we want to live under His smile, if we want to know that things are right with heaven while we're here on earth, you and I need to uncover our sin because concealed sin, covered sin is a burden. It's a blockage to the blessing of God. At times, the only thing standing between prosperity and poverty is, well, us. That's the message we'll hear today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Sometimes people look at the Bible as some kind of sin management program, but God's Word is far more than an abstract collection of do's and don'ts. As we'll discover, God wants nothing more than to see His children experience an abundant life, and sometimes prosperity begins with personal confession. Learn more about us at ktt.org. But right now, here's Philip with his message, Let's Be Honest. I want to take you to a text that will put you on the path to prosperity. Proverbs 28 and verse 13, a recipe for godly prosperity. Proverbs 28 verse 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. A soldier on the battlefield received a letter from his youngest daughter communicating her love and her best wishes for the soon and safe return of her father to home. The simple message read, Daddy, I love you, and I hope you get to live all your life. Those are wonderful wishes. Those are great desires. And those Wishes and those desires are exemplified in the God of the Bible who intends that all men and all women get to live all their lives. In fact, he sent his son expressly for that reason. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that he came into the world so that men might have life and that more abundantly. God wants us, contrary to popular opinion, God wants us to live all our lives in union and communion with Him. God wants us to know prosperity as we live under His smile. God wants to fill up the 24 hours of our day with a sense of His presence and His purpose. I want to make it clear that God has not made His eternal mission to pop everyone's balloon. God is not an ogre. Rather, He desires men and women to live healthily and wealthily. And this can be found in heeding and taking hold of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Let's go back to chapter 3 just to remind ourselves of the intent of this book. The intent of this book is to give us wisdom, to give us insight, to Give us instruction regarding how life is to be lived successfully. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, verse 13, and the man who gains understanding for. The result of gaining wisdom is this, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. 
her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She, that is wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The wisdom of the book of Proverbs would leave us healthy, wealthy, and wise if we would but lay hold of its wisdom. It would be a veritable tree of life. And that's very strong, symbolic language. The tree of life is to be found in the book of Genesis, and the tree of life is to be found in the regained heaven in the book of Revelation. And so here in the book of Proverbs, it is being used symbolically. The tree of life was lost in Genesis. But the author of Proverbs wants us to know that if we will heed its insight and take hold of its instruction, it will act as a tree of life until we reach paradise and that final tree of life. The book of Proverbs wants us to be prosperous. And Lady Wisdom has so many riches in her hand to give to those that seek her. And here is a verse on prosperity. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes him will have mercy. The Hebrew word for prosper here in our text means to thrive, to be well, to press through to success. God wants us to be well in a world growing sick of life itself. God doesn't just want us to survive. God wants us to thrive. This book will help us to manage the art of successful living. And that is found in a right relationship with God. And that right relationship with God cannot be had until our sins are uncovered and confessed. Inwardly and outwardly, God would have us to be rich. And here we have a recipe for godly prosperity. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. There are two things we want to see here. We want to see the burden of concealed sin, and we want to see the blessing of revealed sin. And by the way, I hope you've recognized from our text that uh, the only thing standing in the way of prosperity in its comprehensive meaning, is us. God's not standing in the way of our prosperity. God, in fact, wants to remove the things that stand in the way of our prosperity. It is us and our unconfessed, uncovered sin that is the obstacle, the barricade to the blessing of God. Sins that are covered up lead to blessings that are tied up. And if you and I want to unwrap the blessings of God, you and I need to untie ourselves from our love of sin. This verse teaches us that if we cover our sins, we will not prosper. By implication, it teaches us if we will uncover our sins, we will prosper. So let's look at our text under these two thoughts, the burden of concealed sin and the blessing of revealed sin. The first portion of this verse, because it's an antithetical verse, it's a, an antithetical parallel proverb, which means that two things are set in contrast to each other. 
If you cover your sins, you'll not prosper. If you'll uncover your sins, you'll have mercy. That's the intent of the comparison. The first portion of the verse then makes it clear that sin, unconfessed and uncovered, diverts you and I from the path of prosperity. If you and I want to know the blessing of God, if we want to live under his smile, if we want to know that things are right with heaven while we're here on earth, you and I need to uncover our sin because concealed sin, covered sin is a burden. It's a blockage to the blessing of God. The path to prosperity begins here by recognizing that if you'll cover your sin, you won't prosper. And that's always a danger to us. There's an old statement that says, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Let me parody that a little. To err is human, and to try to cover it up is human also. We have a great tendency to try and cover our sin. When sin first showed its face, remember, on earth, in the Garden of Eden, even then it was disguised. The tempter came not as a creature of ugliness, but one of beauty. Satan didn't come to Adam and Eve waving a red flag going, danger, danger, danger. No, sin likes to mask its true nature and to hide its true identity. And as soon as Adam and Eve fell for the trickery of Satan and the serpent, isn't it interesting that as soon as they sinned, they tried to cover it up? We know that they hid in the garden. God had to search them out. We know that when they stood before God in all their nakedness, they tried to cover their shame with leaves. And since then, men and women have conspired to cover up their sin with rags of self-righteousness and cloaks of deceit. Folks, the depth of man's sinfulness is to be seen in the length to which he will go to hide the fact of his sinfulness. And this wise statement, this insight from the book of Proverbs reminds us that is not the path to prosperity. That is the road to destruction. That's a dead end where the blessing of God is not to be found because he who covers his sins will not prosper. That's the burden of concealed sin. Men are slow to incriminate themselves. Men will go to great lengths to perjure their souls to protect the facade of innocence. And I want to illustrate that. I think the best way for me to show you this principle is to illustrate it from the life of Solomon's father. The book of Proverbs was primarily written by Solomon. Here he is along with the other sages of Israel telling us, you know what? If you try to cover up your sin, if you don't admit you're a sinner, repent of it and forsake it, you will not know God's mercy. You will not lay hold of God's blessing. And let me tell you, I know that from firsthand experience, and I know that looking at our family tree. And David's a prime example of this. And for a few moments, I want you to follow me to Psalm 32, Psalm 51, and 2 Samuel 12. And we're going to see how David sought to cover up his sin. Do you remember that uh, he sinned by adultery when he slept with Bathsheba? She fell pregnant. Then he tried to cover up that sin by having uh, her husband come home and sleep with his wife. But Uzziah was such a um, 
loyal servant of David. He lay at the king's palace, so much so that David had to actually send him back to the battlefield with the instructions, put him up at the front line. And Uriah died. And so David was an adulterer and someone who was party to homicide. And for almost a year, if we put the uh, timetable together, he tried to cover his sin up. Now with Uriah dead, he brought Bathsheba to his home, uh, quickly married her, masking the pregnancy. No one was to know that he was party to homicide. Uriah was simply a war statistic, and he tried to cover up his sin. And he didn't prosper, by the way. That was a horrible year in David's life. And he sowed the seeds of a bitter harvest in his children. In fact, when Nathan does confront him, he says, the sword will not depart from your house. Because David, he who covers his sin will not prosper. And if you read these texts that I'm going to take you to, you're going to see that he tried to cover up his sin three ways. Number one, he tried to cover up his sin through silence. David had broken three of the Ten Commandments. He had killed someone, he had committed adultery, and he had coveted another man's wife. But David tried to keep the Eleventh Commandment, thou shalt not be found out. And he tried to cover it up through silence. Look at Psalm 32 and verse 3 with me quickly. Psalm 32 and verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Psalm 32 is a psalm of confession. David is looking back after his sin had been exposed by Nathan, and he looks back having sought God's mercy. He talks about God's mercy in verses 1 and 2, and he talks about what he had tried to do during that time. And he said, I tried to keep silent. I didn't want to talk about my sin. I didn't want to talk to anybody about my sin. I was neither going to confess it to a priest nor to God. David tried to gag his conscience. David tried to silence the voice of conviction. In Psalm 51 verse 3, he tells us that his sin was always before him. His conscience was nagging at him. David hid his guilt under cross-examination. He remained silent. In the courtroom of his conscience, he pleaded the fifth. When I kept silent, he said, my bones grew old. It didn't work, but he tried it. <laughs> By the way, it didn't work. He tells us that that, that lack of confession and where he sought to repress his guilt and not to come clean, uh, produced emotional and physical effects in his life. His bones grew old. He, be, he groaned all the day long. He felt God's hand heavy upon him. You won't prosper in unconfessed sin. The way of the transgressor is hard, says the book of Proverbs. And it was hard for David that year. He tried to cover it up with silence. He tried to kick his guilty conscience out the front door, but it ran around the side of the house, came in the back door in the form of depression, neurosis, ill health. When things aren't right with God, nothing's right. You can eat the finest of food, dine in the best of restaurants. You can sleep between silk sheets. You can bath in marble baths. You can have all that David had, and yet he was miserable because he tried to cover up his sin through silence. In fact, if he did break silence, my guess is he did it in self-justification, not self-judgment. Well, you know what? I'm human just like the next guy. I'm a red-blooded male. She's a beautiful woman. She was naked. The sun was shimmering. You know what? <laughs> you put yourself in my shoes. Wouldn't you have done it? People today continue to gag their conscience. 
They remove the very word sin from their vocabulary, give it a new name. They recategorize their behavior. It's a psychological hang-up. It's in my DNA. It's part of my gene pool. I inherited it from my old man. You know what? It's just who I am. And conscience is saying, no, it's not what God intended you to be. Isaiah 5 verse 20 tells us that human beings are always in danger of calling evil good and good evil. Sometimes we gag our consciences by shifting the blame to others, taking the spotlight of ourselves. Didn't Adam do that? Lord, what about that woman you give me? Eve at the apple first. We do that all the time. We shift the blame. Well, the government let me down. I didn't have a good mom and dad. I was born in a bad neighborhood. And therefore, you know what? When you understand me, then you'll understand why I do what I do. And you'll give me a break. We're still doing this, trying to silence conscience. In fact, um, some years ago when I was living in LA, I came across an article by a psychologist in Los Angeles who conducted weekly seminars for women who had experienced or who were considering an extramarital affair. The purpose of the seminar was fourfold. Number one, it was to help the women develop covering excuses that a husband couldn't check. Two, it was to help them resist the temptation to confess their infidelity. Number three, it was to help them be careful in choosing the right partner in an affair. Number four, it was to help them enjoy the relationship without feeling guilty. In fact, the last point was particularly popular. One lady confessed that her guilt had nearly robbed her of her health. But after the seminar, she felt nearly guiltless because she had been told that she had a right to happiness. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. David tried to cover up through silence, through gagging his conscience. Secondly, David tried to cover up through sanctimony. Let's go back to 2 Samuel. David's going to be called to the mat here by Nathan. Nathan comes at David in, from an interesting angle. He shares a, a story 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There are two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It had his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare for the one wayfaring man who had come to him. And he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Okay, Nathan, tell me, who is he? Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you are the man in the story. You're the man. And Nathan goes on to say, hey, David, God has given you the kingdom and wives and prosperity and all that your heart could desire. But you took another man's wife and then you took another man's life. You're the man in the story. 
with all the riches of God's blessing, you're forfeiting them in your sin, which remains uncovered and unconfessed. But what strikes me is David's sanctimony. Do you see he got aroused? He got angry? Got all upset over this other person's sin? Blind to his own? It was serious to steal an animal but far worse to steal another man's wife. It was severe to kill a pet, far worse to slay a man. And here was David with a railway sleeper in his own eye, quick to remove the speck from someone else's. People are still doing it. People still try to cover up their sin by pointing and uncovering the sin in another man's life. By pointing the finger to another, they take the spotlight from themselves. And that is a great danger. God, guard our hearts from such hypocritical sanctimony. When we know all too well the sins of our own heart, the thoughts of our own mind, the actions of our own past life. And if we haven't gone to God and got that cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will try to repress that guilt and we will try to cover that sin through silence or through sanctimony. We'll not talk about it, either to God or to man. And if we are going to talk, it'll make us feel better by talking about another person's sin. So easy for us to overlook our own disobedience, our own lack of commitment, and point out the failures of others. There is more to come in this lesson about the importance of confession. We'll pick up right at this point tomorrow on Know the Truth when we continue the message from Philip DeCourcy called Let's Be Honest. In the meantime, if you'd like to replay today's lesson or listen to another, visit ktt.org. Before Jesus ascended, he gave his followers the Great Commission, commanding them to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's a command we don't take lightly here at Know the Truth, and one of the ways we follow it is by equipping you, our listeners, to do likewise. Philip is back with us now. Would you like to share more, Pastor? We and I'd love to. You know, the Bible tells us to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And yet there are many Christians that don't feel ready. They don't feel equipped. They're nervous about sharing the gospel. So this month at Know the Truth, we want to make it easier for them to partner with us in sharing the gospel with a world in need of truth. That's our mission. And we want to equip our listeners to do it too. So we'd like to send a friend or a loved one of your choice an encouraging resource on your behalf. It's a book I've written entitled, Take Cover, Finding Peace in God's Protection. It's based on Psalm 46 verse 1 where we're encouraged to believe and take confidence in the fact that God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in time of trouble. This verse reminds us that we can take shelter in God's presence, promises, and protections. And that's what this book communicates. You know, our world is very unsafe and very unsure. You look at the financial markets, you look at the political context, you look at the world at large, and, and people are riddled with anxiety. They have no sense of peace and security. But I believe this book will be a tool in their hands to help them find peace with God and the peace of God. There's so much to take away from this book as we all seek to find peace in an unpeaceful world. I hope you'll redeem this special opportunity to request this resource and send it to a loved one. 
Wien, will you tell our listeners how they can get a copy? I'd be happy to. When you give a gift of any amount in support of Know the Truth, you'll receive a copy of Philip's book, Take Cover, Finding Peace in God's Protection. Just select a friend or a family member of your choice, and we'll send it to them on your behalf. You'll also receive your own copy of a book that pairs perfectly with our current study on wisdom and family. It's titled, What God Wants Every Dad to Know, and it uses King Solomon's letter as a guide to encourage fathers to pass along God's timeless wisdom found in Proverbs to their children. Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also write to us, address your envelope to know the truth. Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd. I hope you'll join us next time when we'll continue our study in the book of Proverbs with the message titled, Let's Be Honest, Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.